So welcome, Jana and Nico. Uh, we have, um, this is um, the first official, but actually the second conversation we're having uh, for the podcast. So we already released some parts, which for me were very, yeah, you know, important to hear the exchange between Nico and Jana um, and, and about for me, it was really about solidarity and, but also solidarity as a strategic understanding between migrants and refugees, uh, which might not be treated the same, but are, you know, basically struggling in a similar way. Uh, and I think can, can, you know, um, I think that the insight that I take from there is, you know, how can we, you know, um, let go of the divisions that are coming and, and, and are polarizing us and really take the opportunity to be together in this moment of difficulty. Um, so Jana, just for people listening, uh, is a joker, a practitioner of theater of the oppressed, and I would say, you know, community weaver and organizer uh, from Ukraine uh, who has been instrumental uh, in in moving certain certain movements and organizations in Ukraine of theater of the oppressed, uh, theater for dialogue, theater for change, and um, she will might share a little bit more of that. And um, I, I had the pleasure to work with Diana in Unlock the News and in the Joker Exchange in the other moments, and I always. Uh, find so much insights and inspiration from the work you are doing. Um, currently, Jana is in Poland, um, uh, as many other Ukrainians uh, that are seeking, uh, you know, um, a more calm situation, especially for children, um, as um, the war that started in 2014 intensified and became a full-on invasion into Ukraine by Russia, which makes life very difficult. Um, and uh, yeah, today we're, we're, we're having a conversation. I'll, I'll hand it to, to Nico, to you, to add a little bit more and maybe ask the first question. And thank you again, Jana, for, for, for joining us today. Okay, I'll say thank you again, Jana, as well. I don't have questions as well. I was not really um, planned much, but I think, as we said, we'll continue where we left. I still remember some things. But the other thing I just shared, like some people have been asking me, something very simple that I never pay attention to it. Like, Oniko, did you ever meet any Ukrainian refugee in Scotland? I'm like, no. So what are we talking about? That's me like trying to think. If I really want to talk about other migrants and stuff, I need to start hunting them down, not in the bad way. I mean, like to, to actually hear more stories in person than, than using um, whatever, um, social media and stuff. So that question stays with me until today. Like, yeah, did you ever meet any Ukraine refugee? I was like, no, I never, I never thought about that. But I think it's a really, it wakes me up um, on the, on the side of work, like to do like 
if you want to create a nice stories uh, and stuff and raise awareness, you need to have talk to people lived experience. And so I think that's that. The other thing I really appreciate, um, you're not to join us on your podcast and uh, yeah, to be part of, of this sharing stuff. As I said, I think, I think I have prefer maybe already to do the, the head thing stuff because I, I, I didn't come up with any like really uh, questions than only sharing what my views are on these situations. And maybe the question would be like for all of us, what, what, how far are we going about this idea of this uh, podcast? I mean, like for, for these uh, topics we have now, because one off, it can die within like weeks. <laughs> But I'm not saying we should take this as a full-time job as well. We need just balance, like, and stuff. Um, the UK is a mess in the moment. I can't even begin to start about um, how the things work here because the parliament will become like a house party now. <laughs> it's, uh, they don't talk much about migrants as other countries in the UK. They're focusing on replacing Boris. Um, I don't know if, in, if Yana, she's got a question for me. I'm happy as well just to, to actually, yeah, speak something more if you've got anything for me. Maybe you can tell your story and like how you move. <laughs> to the UK from this bump and uh, actually just um, not to compare but just to have different stories of people seeking asylum and uh, you know being in exile and you know facing various difficulties and challenges on on that on that way yeah there's there's one story I always wanted to share is that it was 2013 here in, in Glasgow when I was under asylum, like there's a, this organization run housing, housings for asylum seekers, funded by the government, but the treatment is horrible. So what happened in 2013, I volunteered in different places. So one day I came from volunteering, my case was a little bit like, no new application was not finished, but yeah, I was nothing put in on the government because I, I was, refused, I have to appeal and appeal. So I come back, I like put the key, I can tell that that someone is in, inside in the house and they have this system in the, in the UK that time that they still do it. If your case is no longer on the, on the home office, they'll change the locks and they throw your stuff out and become homeless. And so the first attempt, the guy was still, poor guy was still changing the locks and then I see him, then open the door, it's like, oh, sorry, I, I have to do this. I'm like, well, I'm calling the BBC because I was smart trying to, to scare him because they don't want the, the, uh, sorry, the media to get involved. So it's like, no, no, okay, uh, the boss is downstairs. And then they came, the uh, two men, the suit, you know, the, as a refugee, like the fear they put on us, it's like kind of like you can't speak anymore, but not me. Me, I'm not like that because I knew. I knew my rights, I knew what, what was going on, so I, I didn't really worry much about them. So not to take store too long. So they came, they said, okay, we'll give you three days because they do it on the weekend, then you have to move out of the house. Where should I go? And I mean, so 
I end up staying in that house another year because I keep on like, yeah, I, I refusing to leave because according to the law, they're not physical hold, sorry, hold you and throw you out. They cannot. It's only like if you leave the house, but I leave. So I think, yeah, finally they kicked me out. I come back. My stuff was gone. That's why I began to be homeless. Um, and I never thought homeless was, we always think about homeless, like when you hear it, maybe like, yeah, we hear it from people saying, but when it comes to you, I had a very slight change of my life was like, I lost everything. I got nowhere to go. I have no rights to be anything. I don't know anyone except the charities and the charities are also full of um, people. They couldn't help much. But until I get this, um, any project I volunteer with until today, they helped me to get, to get a space to live. So the reason I'm sharing this story, I'm just wondering that, like, for example, we don't know how many other refugees from different countries, especially like now from Ukraine, who end up uh, on the street. Because I hear stories, I'm not 100% sure that in UK, some people volunteer to, to accommodate people from Ukraine and then end up in some accident, like sexual assault. Of, I'm not saying I've I seen that, but things like that. There's so many bad treatment comes to this because the government never assessed these people who actually take the, the Ukrainian uh, refugees. They never, some of them never assessed if it's a criminal or what, it's just like, because need a space. So that's why I'm trying to, as I said, someone asked me if I meet Ukrainian refugees yet. I said, no, which means I think that I got an idea Telling my story like I'm telling now, and then find someone, find how safe these people are, even if the government set up a scheme of paying the, the UK citizenship citizens to look after the Ukrainian people without any proper assessment, what's called assessed. So yeah, that's my idea like, to really deep, um, get dig deep to find out, is this thing true happening? Or yeah, what's the safe measures of this? the people are coming because sometimes it's say welcome welcome to my house you know or whatever it is then within a day or two things changed i don't know if that makes sense to you Anna. like for example if you, if you maybe got similar stories in other countries like since they were started i'm not sure or i mean like if it, if my story makes sense or we can ask questions as well on top of what i just said Thank you for sharing that. Uh, just uh, maybe to clarify, uh, like your request is whether there are some Ukrainians who were kicked out of the house by the owners? Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know such a friends like here, like those people who are definitely know very well and I could confirm it. But from time to time uh, in like some different social groups or channels where Ukrainians communicate like in different cities, like, or, you know, moms with children, I might uh, come across certain uh, messages that uh, I need to leave this accommodation soon or just uh, you know, I have several days or even one day, even though my child is with fever or whatever, but um, yeah, there are similar cases, but uh, I mean, of course it's not, uh, 
goes to this legal level in terms of some procedures, you know, how it's, it's related. Uh, and maybe it's also another side that you are, you don't have a procedure. <laughs> you don't know what to do and how to, let's say, argue or appeal against uh, the actions of the people, uh, what they're doing. And uh, I really support you in that way. Uh, that I, I think this is just an awful practice, uh, just to assess people if they are criminals or not, in general. Um, and uh, I might say, because after our discussion last week, I was... Um, mm, I did a presentation on uh, European Green Academy, and we have a roundtable on refugees, integration and migration in Europe. And basically, because of many people who were from Poland uh, and uh, other people, I just realized that actually I'm live, I'm trying really to, you know, protect the rights of Ukrainians in the country. Uh, which actually very xenophobic towards asylum seekers and refugees. Like Ukrainians is the first uh, group of people who, let's say, they accepted in, in such quantity without, let's say, certain bureaucratic challenges and from legal point of view. But many uh, civil society organizations who are working to support refugees and asylum seekers are criminalized. They are prosecuted for what they're doing. And uh, I heard many, many stories uh, when NGO um, was uh, helping some other refugees and they were already in very bad relations with the government and with law enforcement agencies. And then when they started to do the same for Ukrainians, the same people came to them and say, hey, please share your practice. And these people say, I just need to bomb out because <laughs> before when I, I uh, did help to the same people from another country, I was, I was an enemy uh, and I uh, got prosecution and now they want to partner with me because I do have experience and uh, they want to learn about my practices. And uh, this is just like, it's just schizophrenia, <laughs> I could say, <laughs> because it doesn't matter who, who are these people and who are that people. Uh, they just people who are really trying to find a safe place for them. And, uh, in this way, it's for me just really very bright story uh, that many, many issues actually need to be done just to improve uh, this asylum system in general and our, I don't know, position of any country, of anyone about this. Because, um, I mean, um, I don't know what are the reasons why now you uh, open this uh, directive, particularly for Ukrainians. Uh, I have, I could have just assumptions, 
they feel guilty, they feel responsible for the policy they did before, etc., uh, etc. Et but we must say the same for many, many wars and many, many conflicts that happened in, in other countries, that a lot of, of this, the same countries stand behind the decisions and uh, any actions that lead to any other conflicts that uh, provoke people to leave their country, provoke people to search for asylum, for safe place for them, for their relatives and beloved, beloved ones in any other countries. And so then it also doesn't make sense. And uh, we really need to review this uh, idea because uh, now when we, I'm looking at this uh, economic sanctions and all of this, we really could see how all of us, all the society, all the world is connected. We cannot really live like separately and we really need to find this concept of shared responsibility. Like now, because of many technologies, because of many processes, when we have the world globalized, we really need to recognize finally that each and every country depends on the level of power and impact they have on certain processes. They do share this responsibility. And if so, then they just need to share this responsibility, not only in political and economical area, but the same in the migration area, because they are interconnected. A lot of them influence uh, political decisions and economical decisions, influence uh, the migration flows. They are very, very much connected. And we need to think about that. Yeah, that's that's really yeah powerful for me. Yeah, yeah, as you said, there's lots of issues coming on this. Um, on my side, I think like yeah, as I said last week, the the, the way people treated different stuff. But I, I realized that the UK system is designed to uh, actually destroy the poor people, like asylum seekers, refugees. Most of the people I know the past eighteen years when they arrived from, let's say, Ethiopia or. Sudan or other places in Africa. This guy used to be like a very professional person. He was, you know, looking healthy. Now he's in the street drinking beer and taking drugs. He can't even remember me. He can't remember lots of things. But that's what that government wants. They're like, you know, what I mean, so I'm trying to tell people on my communities, like, don't let them get to you. I know it's hard, but that's what they want. So I'm trying to find a way how to raise awareness on staying strong, which is hard in some. In some cases, you can't really, I don't know everybody's case, what what happened, why they're here. But the way the, the system is designed in the UK, is really destroying lots of us. I, I mean, I talk a lot about mental health in so many workshops, but in our communities, mental health is something taboo. Not really tough. It's very slow to understand um, what, you know, I mean, there's lack of education as well on that, on that topic. But I'm not going to go deep on that. Um, so yeah, those are things like what I'm trying to say like, here, I'm trying to say like, I'm trying to find ways like to actually raise awareness both sides, doesn't matter what a refugee is, what, where, where you're from, from Afghanistan or 
Ukraine, African stuff. It's just to find a way to challenge this system just set up to kill people psychologically. Because in the UK, not allowed to work. And you get like five pounds a day. And, and now the food cost is like, it, it, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I know maybe, maybe this out of this podcast topic, but I'm just going to move it to Uri. Maybe you can help us come up with some answers and questions. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think there is a, I was taking notes and I think it's really important this conversation we're having for different reasons. Um, you know, I've been working in this system or around the issue of migration for some years now uh, here in Italy. And, um, and I think there are certain like uh, things that are shared now and i think it's important to give them names and 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 flesh them out like like racism like there is racism and it completely influences the the system of migration and that's one of the and you know we can name it in different ways and also i think it's important that even racism we must humanize racism let's say we need to understand where it's coming from because it's not something you know racism can happen from all different ways and basically if we connect with the human basic goodness concept which i i love is that it comes from this idea of community right so this is my community this is the people like me and this is the people that look like me and this is the people that don't look like me and they are others and we are that and that's and and then there is the story of who is what you know you know, so these people are like that and our people are like that and that's different somehow, you know, so and all this story of uh, people and races and, and it's a story, right? So we, you know, this is also scientifically approved. We are one race like that. 99% of our DNA is the same. Um, then um, there is a certain differences, but they're mostly external uh, appearance which is probably connected with this same necessity of identity of people like me and and that thing which has to do with how we're built as human beings as social beings we are social beings and we need to be connected to other people you know if you put a human being on its own in isolation they they will basically die you know they, they would be desperate and they will die you know, the human beings are meant to be with other human beings. Um, and, you know, so I think this, so, but we need to understand where racism, but we also need to name it. There is racism. The, the system is filled with racism and we need to figure out how to, uh, how to um, meet that racism in the system and make it explicit um, that it's a problem. It's a problem. And, and also it's a problem not just in the asylum system it's a problem in general um in how we manage the world and i want to kind of bring it to something else you know kind of challenge put something else even so we put refugees from africa from afghanistan from ukraine but it's hot i don't know how it's hot with you but it's it's hot you know like that's the it's the hottest summer in Europe ever. <laughs> and and we're, we're here in Italy, we're hitting 38 degrees day after day after day. And we just 
it's impossible to sleep in the house. We need to move to the downstairs. And, and, and I just read the news, you know, um, one of the articles, you know, Europe is the hottest ever. And it started burning coal again in many places because of not a, being able to get as many gas from Russia. And so, and I wonder how does that connect for you? How does that question of refugees rights and, and also the war in Ukraine and the whole situation we're living through, how is that connected with what's going on with the environment, with our home? And how can, and, and I'm involved with some writing of projects around that actually right now. So I'm really curious with that. How can we actually make that an opportunity? How can the migration waves that are going to come more for different reasons, a lot of them connected with the climate, how can we leverage that to actually start doing something about this situation, which is a collective suicide? Um, we are we're on a path of, of collective suicide. And, and how do we deal with that? How do we take um, you know, the, the accumulating problems that were and, 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 and social conflicts that is created into something creative and active? Um, and, I, and again, to even add more <laughs> to the, how can arts and theater be part of that or comedy for you? I might start. Thank you <laughs> for this kind of challenging question, but uh, maybe um, actually the escalation of war in Ukraine really shows how all of this is connected because now uh, in the the last news from EU was they really would like to decrease the consumption of gas by 15% in general in EU just because they don't want to be threatened uh, by another country with which they already said before <laughs> some agreements and uh, you know they used let's say we used to supply certain amounts of energy in gas in oil whatever and we used to that and we are not thinking how these uh, resources could be used to cause the conflict and actually uh, cause the, just in general, the disaster for many people. Like if we talk about UK, just yesterday I heard that now, because they will uh, raise the prices for heating, like uh, one third of all the UK households on the level they might not afford paying that. Uh, it means that, uh, this war and the way how before it was the standard we supply the energy and it, it applies to Ukraine as well. We are the country which is very big and we will never save, we don't have any saving technologies. Uh, the way we consume the energy for me it just, it's like putting my hand and just don't look at you at all because uh, we in our, in any flat, like even if you want really to make some, you know, 
way you can switch off what you don't need or it's impossible you just have central heating doesn't matter if winter is warm or it's cold it heats almost the same okay they somehow maybe can regulate it somewhere but it's not me who actually for example live for i don't know four months for some holiday and decide okay this month i won't use it at all yeah or you know i want to use it on the level of 18 degrees or no it's not possible and all our housing system it's not designed in a way that we really have to think about it maybe now we will start thinking about this because now the cost of this uh, fuel and energy and gas will be expensive for anyone in the world and we really need to think do we really want uh, this kind of amount to be supplied and being used also for conflicts or not and of course, uh, Uri, there is a, a term of climate refugees. It already exists for many years. Uh, I mean, when I was working in UNHCR or at IM, I don't know. It was already several, you know, scientific concepts. So all of this was coming out that we need to be ready. This is a new trend, uh, blah, blah, blah all of this and uh, for me just uh, the conflict the uh, the escalation of war in ukraine by russia just shows in uh, let's say apogee of this <laughs> badly constructed system without any care about nature and that that also actually uh, make it destroys everything because war destroys nature destroys people and uh, we now cannot thinking about anything like creative caring uh, etc and uh, i mean it's very brightly shows that the system we build is not working uh, and in it killing us actually the way we created it it just uh, uh, <laughs> we will be the people who will feel all the consequences of the energy consumption system we build and once again it's so much interconnected <laughs> on the global level and uh, yeah all of this need to be uh, uh divide and we need to find a new way how to uh to use resources of uh, of the planet in a way that it will not cause harm to us and not harm to the planet okay um yeah i like the the, both of you, the, the, the way you brought the climate change issue, because I'm sitting on the idea right now to do a code, COP26 reflections and and see how many people really, because um, I was involved in COP26 a bit with Uri as well, everybody was doing some some things, but I was in Glasgow, so I was hosting a few people, 
staying with me and then went so many workshops. But now, believe me or not, I never had a word about climate change in Scottish government in the moment. Maybe they say it in the closed doors, but I mean, like, even the public, I'll tell you, it's, it's not a joke, it's a true story. During the COP26, uh, Boris Johnson brought these nice buses from London. They were all over in Glasgow. Beautiful. It was nice. Now there's a smoke again in Glasgow. See like, the bus I've never seen for years. It's, it's back on the road and it's making this noise and the smoke is everywhere. I'm thinking maybe this thing was a joke. It was just like a festival, you know, I mean, like show to show a country that pretending that you are doing well, but you're not really doing great. Because maybe many activists, they don't challenge these kind of things. Maybe I don't see, but yeah, I think it's embarrassing uh, to look at um, Glasgow maybe was a uh, few months ago was uh, rated as the highest Glasgow pollution city <laughs> in the UK because of, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm still thinking about like really do like maybe make it like a big uh, talk with everybody who was involved. I, people I know they're involved in COP26 to revisit their mind again and see what it's kind of like I, I just want to see if people they really mean what they mean, you know, like you know, because it's easy to speak like like say, okay, I want this world to be the perfect world. But as soon as I switch off this camera, I'm 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 doing different, which means it's, it's quite difficult as human, of course, to be 100,000%. But I always find out the government, they always lie a lot, especially when it comes to these, these events, like the one COP26 just gone. I remember challenging another person during the COP26. Sometimes, just to warn you, I'm critical sometimes. I'm like, I'm kind of like, uh, not too much negative, but sometimes negative, it can work in the, in the other way. Because... There was one uh, talk during the COP26, uh, students from America, they were saying they're trying to put everybody to be a vegetarian, right? Like everyone should be a vegetarian, vegan and stuff. I put my hand up, I'm like, no, you can't actually do that because the way I'm from, the meat is expensive, sorry, the food is expensive. And there's no system like actually encouraging people to eat healthy. Then you find out these groups of people who are vegetarian, vegans, they already did living themselves a different side of Glasgow, south side of Glasgow, that you see like all the vegan hippies and stuff like that. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you go this other side where they don't know where they're going with the planet. They eat anything. There's no, uh, sorry, there's no, um, there's no resources actually to put people together to do something good. So for her, for her to tell me that I should be a vegetarian without giving me guidance, without any uh, resources, there's no packages there for poor people to actually get to that system where they we can have an eco, eco-friend or eating well. So these are other things that I'd pick up during the COP26. So these are other things I think if we reflect and see if, uh, if is any other people pick up maybe something different than I thought, then you combine all these ideas and maybe we can come up with the COP27 with something even on the theater side as well, you know, I mean, like this, there's so much can be done. Um, so that, that's my version when it comes, sorry, when it comes to climate change and my experience as well, and my imagination about how to do things accordingly, like if everybody can fit in, special eating health. Don't get me wrong, I love vegetarian food, but I don't cook it because I don't know much, but I'm not, I'm not very fast when it comes to eating, but I always make a joke when I was licking my mom, she shoved a meat in my mouth. That's African culture, you know, 
<laughs> we, 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 that's what we know when we were there because we didn't know anything about those things. But life changes. I changed a lot in my life the past 20 years. And I understand how the world works a bit, a little bit. Then if you took, if you talk to me like 20, they said, yeah, 20 years back, I wouldn't understand what vegetarian means. Because back home, when you have no meat, you just, we just eat vegetables. So we grew up actually eating veg more than meat because we couldn't afford it. Some people didn't have animals. So yeah, there is something there. So I think in that part, I think that I need some more clarity. I need some people who are vegetarians, maybe some of you, just to think what I was saying, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a vegetarian, but I, I don't eat so much meat. I think, I think, um, I, I feel for me, the problem is that uh, there is, uh, we, we tend to go to these absolute solutions um, uh, too much um, without looking at what's, what's, what's around us. So we, we, we looked as a family, we watched this uh, Pianeta Verde, the, the green planet. It's, it's really, a, it's a French film actually, uh, but um, I think you can find it in more languages, even free on YouTube sometimes, or um, it's actually, it's, it's quite nice. You know, it, it talks of this other planet, which people are living in harmony with nature and they have telepathy and then they send someone to earth. Nobody wants to go. And then someone goes and it kind of, sees a lot of the patterns you know um i think it's a great film it, it has this problem of this utopic uh future present in which things are kind of in harmony and that and that's tends to be um not really accessible for anyone because the problem is you we build too much uh, idealism or or ideas and it then it and it kind of uh, we are caught in the contradiction you know and so my daughter the the other evening when we were she she was very moved by the movie and also before that with this whole environmental lately let's go and you know she she just wanted to go and 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 live outside and leave all the things and you know and that everybody do that and um and we might do that. We might go to some place in a year and, and, and experiment with that. But I, I also told, and I still feel that we need to be able to breathe, to build a bridge to that future, present, past of because we are where we are, and also where we are um, has things that we need to. You know, I I'm quite sure that the future. Is nothing like what hap what has been, and nothing like we can imagine now. It's it, we're we're creating it. Um, 